Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, energy, and attention. We'll be talking today about how to maximize the value you get from conferences. We'll share strategies and tips for how to pick the right conferences to go to, how to implement what you've learned, how to maximize your time at conferences, and how to make sure it's worth your time and money, especially if you're introverted. You can find links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 225. And now, on with the show. Alrighty, Brooks. I'm super excited to have you here today because we're together in Austin for the first time recording a podcast. Yeah, this is my first live in-person podcast. Usually I'm hiding in my basement staring at the screen, but now I'm actually staring at you, which is cool, but a little strange. <laughs> I know. I'm happy I got this podcast set up at home. I got the mics. I got a recorder here and we're sitting across from each other because I'm planning to do more interviews with people and kind of get their perspectives and we also had a big request from some of our female listeners saying, hey, we want more females on, on the podcast as well as so I'm working on that. So I'm excited to bring that all to you guys here. So today's topic is going to be about conferences and specifically how to get the most out of them, how to do them productively, how you can get the most value from them, how to pick the right one, what you should do, what you shouldn't do and how you can implement some of the things you've learned from conferences. Because as we all know, conferences take up a lot of time, can cost a lot of money. And if you don't utilize them in the best way possible, or, or you don't even implement anything from the conference, you're essentially throwing away time and money. So we want to make sure that you get the most out of it. And Brooks is a great guy to talk to you about this because Brooks, how many conferences have you been to? Yeah, I don't go to as many now as I used to, which is something we're going to talk about. But I used to go to a lot of conferences every year and it's kind of appropriate that we're talking about this because we first met at a conference, the Macworld, whatever year it was, and we would see each other at conference after conference. We were just in similar circles. So we both had a lot of experience being at conferences together before I joined the AE team. So yeah, it'll, it's a, we're a good, good pair to have this conversation. Yeah, and you live in Canada. I live mm -hmm. here in the States, so you have to travel for conferences, which yeah. a lot of times happen in the States. And I totally forgot that we actually met at Macworld because right, I always yeah. remembered that in my head it was always Portland. Right. The WDS yeah. uh, World Domination Summit. Yeah, it was the Smile Software Party at at Macworld is where we first, the first time we met. Yeah. Gotcha. So, Brooks, when it comes to conferences, what is the value to you to go to a conference what do you get out of it well for me it's you know networking's great you meet people obviously like i said we we met there so you you meet people that you wouldn't otherwise necessarily meet and meeting face to face to, even if you have a relationship online meeting face to face just takes that to another level a big benefit for me though is getting out of the routine and really being able to focus on a certain topic. Cause a lot of times you, you learn things at a conference that you could theoretically learn on your own, you know, looking at YouTube videos or reading blog posts or whatever, but being, getting out of your routine, being in that focus environment there to learn something. Uh, that's why I would always go. Yeah. There's something to be said for learning something in person versus reading a book, mm -hmm. listening to a podcast, 
and you can literally get the same material, the same script, the same content. Just the fact that you went somewhere, you're in a different mindset, you're in a different city, and you're hearing the same material, sometimes just clicks better than just reading about it. And that's a a big part for me is to be able to go somewhere and I'm fully committed to, to learning and hearing about something. And even though I've heard it before, just the fact that I'm in in a specific room, for some reason, just makes it more sticky for for me. Yeah, sometimes you hear people say that this is sometimes a function of how many times you've been at conferences and a certain conference. But sometimes you hear people say that it's all about the the hallway track, as they call it. So it's all about who you talk to in the hallway more than the sessions. And there is an element to that for me, but. For me, I also, if I'm going to go to a conference, I want to make sure I'm learning something and getting something out of it. So for me, the sessions are still very important and I almost always learn something really useful. So when it comes to big or small conferences, and let me define big conferences, I define the big conferences as having at least, let's say, 300 attendees. But it's not uncommon to go to conferences where there's thousands of people, mm-hmm. right? Then you have smaller conferences that you go to maybe 200, 300 people or less. What has your experience been when, when it comes to the size of the conference? Like, do you get more from bigger, smaller conferences? What do you get out of those kind of events? Yeah, I've, I've run the range of being at conferences with... 40 people actually Uh, i've been at a conference like that in minnesota once and i've been at conferences with 3,000 people or or even much much more and i personally prefer the smaller one maybe 40 is a little too small but uh that three to four hundred is a pretty good sweet spot i like it better because you do get a chance to interact and interact and make more meaningful connections with people and also you tend to if there's going to be someone there at the conference that you might know, you're more likely to see them at a smaller conference. I've been to bigger conferences where I've known somebody is going to be there, uh, but I never saw them because it's just so big. So for the relationship aspect, uh, I like the smaller ones personally. I would agree with that too. I like the smaller ones a lot better. Over the years, I've actually moved away from conferences to now Mm. go to smaller workshops where there's maybe eight to 12 people or yep. even little retreats where there's eight to 12 people. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later because one of the things I realized is when you go to a conference, if you go to for networking, one of the biggest takeaways I've realized for my personal life is that you really just need one or two, maybe three at most new connections to really make it worthwhile. And what I've realized is when you go to a smaller version, like let's say a retreat, where there's eight to 10 people or like a mastermind or kind of like a small workshop in that format, I actually get to meet eight to 10 people, right? right? So you get the same sometimes information or content. Uh, you get to meet some of the same people, but build better relationships. But also oftentimes the price is very different as well. Of course, yeah. Right? Yeah. So when it comes to picking conferences, how do you select where you're going to go to? Because there's so many conferences out there how do you pick one? Yeah, for me, this is something that's definitely changed over the years. And as I mentioned earlier, I've become a lot more selective about which conferences that, that I go to. Uh, so for me, it depends. I used to do more um, public speaking than I do now. So for me, that was a factor. 
I might go to a conference if, if I w- had an opportunity to speak there that I might not have gone to as an attendee. So that's, that is one thing. Um, but for me, if I'm going to go to a conference now, it has to be something where I know that I am going to, I'm going to learn something and get something out of it that I'm going to get some sort of benefit from it. So either it's in my work, I'm going to learn something that's, that will make money, (laughs) or I know there's people there, um, that I really should know and that I, I want to go there to, to kind of be around those people. It used to be more, I would go to conferences if I was, if it was a topic I was interested in, or if it was maybe a place I wanted to go. I've gone to conferences specifically because I've been, oh, I've never been to that area of the country. Sure, I'll go. Or if it's just maybe to hang out with friends that I know I'm going to see there, uh, I would go to that as well. Um, I don't do those things as much anymore. And there's not that there's anything wrong with doing any of those things, but you want to kind of know why you're going. So that tends to be that's why I go. I find it interesting as I hear your story, how I've changed in terms of how I select which conferences I go to, because in the beginning, and I want to say maybe, let's say 10, 12 years ago, when I first really started going to conferences, it was really about learning. I would go only to learn. It was just really about the content Mm -hmm. and whatever topics would be covered. Like those are the things that would appeal to me. So for the first couple of years or so, I was really just focused on, okay, I want to learn this. I want to learn that. I want to learn this and that. So I'm going to find conferences where I can go to and learn that specific material. Right. So that happened for the first couple of years. And then after that, one of the side benefits I got from going to these conferences was you get to meet interesting people, right? was never my intention. I really just wanted to get the content, Mm. but I met some really cool people and I started to realize, oh, you know, I can go to a conference to learn, but also meet new people, make new friends. And I thought, oh, you know, now it's even more logical for me to go to more conferences because I can get now two benefits instead of one. So I started to go to more conferences and it was really just more about what was I interested in, like what was a problem I was trying to solve, right? So especially as aging efficiency grew and as the business grows, you have new challenges and new problems and conferences is a great way to meet new people who have faced similar problems and already have figured it out that you can talk to, but also learn about new things that you could potentially apply to your business so that was one interesting aspect. And then a third variation over time was, oh, what if I speak at conferences? <clears throat> and as you know, being a speaker as well, when you go as an attendee versus a speaker, it's a very different experience. Right? As an attendee, you're kind of like, I mean, I don't like say the word, but like you're almost like a nobody in a way. Like you're literally there to meet people and hang out and, and stuff like that. Whereas when you're a speaker, you're on the other side. Now people want to come to you. They want to talk to you. They want to get to know you. They want to do business with you. But also you get to hang out with the other speakers. And oftentimes when you go to conferences as an attendee, you actually want to hang out with the speakers and kind of sure. see what they're up to. But when you're a speaker, now it's so much easier because you have the speaker dinners. You have the you have the like the green room where you just hang out with other speakers and just you have like special events where speakers are going to be at. 
And so it makes the networking and the content actually much easier. Yeah. And by the way, pro tip for you, and this is a tip I, I think I read in a blog post by someone named Chris Garrett years and years ago, and it, I found it to be totally true. If you're an introvert, which I personally am, uh, one of the best things you can do is speak at a conference, which sounds strange. If you're, if you're somebody more introverted, it seems strange that I would say you should speak there. But one of the benefits of speaking when you're an introvert is you don't have to go out. Like you said, you don't have to go out and talk to people just by the fact that you're a speaker, people will talk to you and you, you have that. These things happen a lot more naturally. You don't have to work as hard if you're an introvert to have the conversations that you know once you actually have the conversations are awesome but sometimes as an introvert it can be hard to to initiate them uh, but if you're a speaker you don't have to so that's a that's a great tip if you're an introvert go speak at more conferences yeah i know you're a little bit more introverted i'm pretty introverted as well and as we're putting the show notes together we're literally sitting next to each other putting show notes together not talking to each other as we're putting it together that's why you know we're two introverts right hanging out and having a good time that's right we're communicating through google docs so i completely agree with that because having seen the other side now where if you are somebody who is a speaker your experience is so different and so now when i try to go to a conference i'm actually looking for opportunities to speak at that conference because now i can not only speak and get the word out about asian efficiency but also get to meet the speakers and then third get the content as well while the other speakers are going on stage and, and sharing stuff and you know meeting new people that way so nowadays yes you know i'll still pick conferences that i want to go to to learn and stuff and go as an attendee but i'm also strategically thinking about how how can i speak at that conference because I'm going to get so much more value if I do that. And now sometimes, you know, you have to apply like a year in advance. And mm. so there's a lot of planning involved with that. For example, if I ever want to speak at South by Southwest, which happens here in Austin, I would have to apply like a year in advance. I don't even know what my schedule is going to be like in a year. Right. And there's certain events like that where you kind of have to plan in advance. But if I'm just strictly talking as an attendee, one thing is I always look for is learning opportunities, right? So what kind of um, problems can I solve when I go to this? What can I learn? What is interesting right now? Also, another time, a lot of times I will go to conferences just to see certain people. So I'm literally going just to hang out with like a small group of people that I otherwise would just never see. Right. Right. So this is a great way to maintain a relationship or uh, rekindle a relationship that kind of got lost and. And as some of you guys listening, you probably already know, some of, the, some of the best things that have happened to you have come through other people, whether it was an introduction or they mentioned something to you or they just brought so much value to your life that uh, you're literally just one or two people away from anything that you want in your life. And so maintaining certain relationships with people is really valuable enough for me to say, okay, I'm going to hop on the plane and go to that city or go to that country just to hang out with them and maybe not even attend the conference itself. So what we call unconferencing, right? which I've done in Portland before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad you brought up that question though of, of why you go, because I do think it's really important that you, that you know why you're going, because I really feel like people really tend to underestimate the cost of going to conferences. So they might think to themselves, oh, the ticket's only $300 or, or whatever the ticket is. 
I can swing that, I can afford that, so I'll go. But they kind of forget at the time when they're making that decision to go to the conference, they're forgetting about the travel to get there, the cost of staying there, whether it's hotel, Airbnb, whatever it is. Um, also the cost of, especially if, you're, if you have a family, for example, I'm a parent, when I go away to a conference, that really takes away from my family time and impacts a bunch of other things in my, in my life. And so a lot of times we don't think of that when we're making that decision, filling out that form on the website to buy the ticket, we kind of forget about all the things around that. So it's really important to, for me, it's really important to be crystal clear why you're going. I think the financial aspect is really important as well. Uh, something that you are aware of is when other people on the team want to go to a conference, mm. what's the first thing I always ask for? Yeah, exactly. So it's always, okay, sure, it might be good for that person to go to the conference, but let's have a, a breakdown of all the costs, travel, per diem, et cetera, et cetera, because we can't even begin to make that decision until we know what the, what the bottom line is. Yeah, because most people actually underestimate, mm -hmm. like you said, yep. what it actually costs. It reminds me of this conversation I was having with my friend Charles. Uh, he he's super accurate when it comes to tracking every single expense he has in his life right now. He's tracking every single dollar and he wants to make sure that every dollar has a job. And so I was talking to him and he realized, Tan, I spent over five figures in one year on housing my dog. <laughs> and I thought, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, when I was traveling, going to conferences or speaking at places or wherever I was going, I had to put up Romeo, my dog, at, you know, all these different places. And sometimes that would cost me like 150 bucks a night when I would go. And I thought, oh my gosh, like with your travel schedule, yeah, that makes sense. Right. It can be really expensive to you know, put up your dog at a certain place. And especially if you live in a city where you don't have parents or friends that can mm. take care of your dog for long periods of time. It'd be really expensive, but he never thought of that as a as an expense for him to to speak at an event or travel to a conference. And so, you, when you buy your ticket, that's the that's the first expense, yeah. right? There's all this trickle down effect that happens from there. Like you said, there's flights, there's hotels, uh, there's uh, transportation. So you getting to the airport, right? And then also from the airport to you, your destination. Then there's Ubering around or taxiing around from from dinners that you might have in between. Then you have the food expense of you eating, right? And drinking and, and buying drinks or eat, buying dinner for other people, right? And then you have all this other stuff around that, not just in terms of money, but also in terms of your time. What if you have to take five days off? You know, that's five days away from your family. That means that your significant other now has to take over the kids. Like what kind of cost is associated with that? You know, do you have pets? Do you have... Uh, like other things that you need to move around, like meetings, appointments, like what kind of cost is associated with that? And so there's actually quite a big of a commitment that you make when you say, hey, you know what, I'm going to fly somewhere for a conference. Now, it's much easier to do that when you're single like me and you live by yourself in the middle of nowhere, especially in Austin because you're central to everything. <laughs> so <laughs> everything is like literally a three-hour flight away at most. But when you're a parent, you have kids, you have you know, other commitments, whether it's like social services that you do or you go to church or whatever, like that's a big commitment. And mm. people underestimate a lot of times like, oh, you know, this is actually what's going to cost me. Yeah. When we were when we were talking about this, I was thinking about a 
a post in our in the dojo forum the dojo is our online productivity community and one of the members matt vanderpoel i remember he he posted a thread which he turned into a, a blog post and i'll put a link in the show notes about how he was planning to go to a conference i think it was WordCamp, and he had the ticket bought and, and everything uh but then he really started to think about all this stuff and he decided even though he had he had totally planned to go he decided nope i'm not going to go after all and instead what he decided to do is whatever benefits i think i thought i was going to get from going to this conference instead i'm going to find alternate ways to do it and i'm going to have a personal retreat instead so that's what he decided to do so sometimes you know we're talking about conferences today and and uh all the the ways you can do to maximize your conference productivity, so to speak. But sometimes the best decision to make about a conference is to not go at all. Um, so that's something you, to always think of. Even if you've bought the ticket, doesn't necessarily mean you have to go. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a song cost analysis to, mm-hmm. be, to be aware of that, that cognitive bias because I've been guilty of it. I Me bought too. a ticket before. It was so cheap. It's like 100 bucks, 200 bucks. And I thought, oh my, I should take advantage of this. And then I spend like a thousand dollars on the airfare and like another thousand on on hotels and and then food and then you have like three thousand dollars. Like, man, I already spent two hundred bucks anyway. Like, I didn't need to spend that extra three thousand dollars to to attend. Yep. So that's so true. And and you also have to think about the ROI about all of mm-hmm. this. And um, we recently did a team training on this very topic where how you can sort of calculate the ROI of a conference. So I'll give you the short version. Uh, maybe at some point in the future, we can talk more in depth about it. But, you know, basically, let's say you run a business, right? Um, this applies more for people who, who have like some sort of business that they're accountable for. Um, let's say your profit margin is 10%, right? So for every dollar that you make, you keep 10 cents, right? For every $100 that you make, you keep $10, right? 10% profit margin. So if the conference costs, including all airfare, hotel, accommodation, everything else is $3,000, for example, right? As you know, anytime you have an expense, it lowers your profit margin. So if you have a 10% profit margin, that means that if you want to maintain your 10% profit margin, you would have to spend or make $30,000 in revenue to maintain your 10% profit margin. Because if you make... $30,000 $30,000 in revenue and your profit margin is 10%. That means it's $3,000. If you spent that, it, it evens that out on the conference. You maintain your profit margin, right? So when you think about it that way, then you might say, oh, man, if I'm spending $3,000 on something, can I actually break even on this even? Can I actually turn this $3,000 that I'm investing into $30,000, assuming your profit margin was 10%, right? And when you look at it that way, then you really start to think, oh, you know, okay, can I do that? Okay, if so, what's the time frame on that? Can I make that in one month, in one year, in three years, in five years? And so when you start thinking about it from a financial point of view, in that sense, you start to really question sometimes like, is this conference really worth it? Should I really go to this? Now, I'm not saying this is the only factor, right? Because if I made this decision-making guideline early on in my life, I would have gone to zero conferences. (laughs) So I'm not saying like this is the only way to make a decision around which conference you should go to. What I am saying is you have to be financially aware of what the cost is and what your potential return might be as well. Yeah, and a lot of people don't 
think of it that way. A lot of people think of it like, let's say, let's say they've done their diligence and they figure it's going to cost $3,000 all in to go to this conference. A lot of people think to themselves, oh, I'll make, for sure I will meet one new client that will get me that $3,000, no problem. So, so it's a no brainer. Of course I'll go. But like you said, if that's your decision making, that's, you're not right, really thinking about it the right, the right way. But that's what I think a lot of people, if they are doing financial analysis, so to speak, that's the level that they're doing it at, but it may not be quite right. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's how I started off the training. I forgot about that because that's the mistake that people make is if the total expense was, let's say $3,000 and you get a new client and they pay you $3,000, well, guess what? You didn't actually break even, right? You made a sale for $3,000, but then you have all these expenses, you know, and maybe at the end you kept like 300 bucks out of each client because you maybe, maybe you have a 10% profit margin. So actually it will probably take you more clients to, to break even. So, you know, I know this is a little bit more advanced and this is not a financial podcast, but I do want to introduce that whole idea of like, be aware of what it truly costs, right? So moving on, let's, uh, let's assume that you selected the conference you went to, you made your financial analysis, you said, okay, this is good, right? Um, I'm going to meet some people, I'm going to learn a lot, maybe you're going to even speak there. So once you've selected your conference, you know, you, you know, need to buy tickets, you need to kind of like figure out how to get there. Uh, I know you've traveled quite a bit since you're in Canada and you have to go to the States quite a bit for travel. So what are some of your travel tips when it comes to conferences specifically? And are there things that you bring with you or certain things that you pack? Like what are some of your uh, insider tips when it comes to that? Travel wise, one mistake that I would always make that I've since rectified most of the time is for where I was going to stay. And so what I would do is, let's say the conference, I'm generally, I try to be frugal and I'm generally somebody that if I was traveling, say with my wife, I'd want to stay somewhere nice. But if it's just me, as long as it's, you know, good, I, I don't care so much. So if I was traveling and the conference was at a hotel, let's say, and I could save money by staying somewhere maybe close to the hotel, I would tend to go that way. And that was a mistake that that I think I made. I think it's always better if you can to stay at the hotel where the conference is or whatever the if it's at a, a conference center at whatever the quote unquote conference hotel is, even if you can find cheaper places to stay elsewhere. There's just something about being staying where all the other attendees are that facilitates these, you know, bumping into people in the lobby. And a lot of times you can just zip upstairs and drop off your bag and then go out to dinner with people and that sort of thing. So that's probably my number one tip. If you're able, uh, try to stay at where the conference is. I completely agree. Like stay at the conference hotel. For me, it's almost like doesn't matter how much it costs just stay there unless it's like a super ridiculous number but most of the time when you go to conferences you get a special discounted rate to yeah. stay at that hotel and even if it's a little bit pricey the benefits really outweigh the cost in my opinion like it's yep. just so much easier so much more convenient as well now if you're really tight on the budget then say then i would say you know what it might be worthwhile just to walk a couple blocks or even yeah. take an Uber. I mean, of course, do what you have to do if, if you have to do it. But if you have the op option, yeah. Absolutely. Because it just, 
like you said, you just bump into more people. You know, I met somebody in an elevator and we stayed in touch because of that. Mm. Uh, just because we stayed at the same hotel, I should say. And same thing, like uh, you're going for dinner. A lot of times the dinners happen at the hotel uh, restaurant as well. Yeah. Right. So you can literally just go up, drop off your stuff and then go down and then have dinner instead of like leaving the hotel, grabbing a taxi or an Uber, going back, dropping off your stuff and then going back. It's just a little bit more of a trek. And, uh, you know, as we get older, we definitely want things to be <laughs> a little bit more convenient. Mm. So completely agree about that. In terms of um, dates, let's say, you know, let's just hypothetically say a conference is Thursday through Saturday, right? Mm. How do you pick your flights and like, do you fly the morning of? Do you come in the day before? When do you leave? Like, what is your schedule like? Yeah, it really, it does depend. If the conference is starting early, then I will get there the night before. Um, if it's something where maybe there's just an opening ceremony that's that's later, you know, maybe the, the all there is is an opening ceremony. It starts at 6 p.m. or something. I will usually fly in that morning. Uh, now, flying out, I found that's been a function of how many years I've gone to that specific conference. So a lot of times what I'll do is if it's the first time I'm going, I will stay the whole thing. So I'll even go to the final sessions and stuff like that and then maybe leave. And again, it all depends on when the conference ends. But usually I will stay overnight and leave the next day. If it's a conference I've been to a lot, what I'll do is I'll tend to look at the agenda. And if it's something that I figure it doesn't matter so much whether I go there to the end, I will try and save some money and fly out that night. Um, so it, it really depends. But sometimes you want to hang out with people after the conference. Um, so in that case, I'll decide to, to stay overnight. Um, sometimes what I've also done is use it as an excuse to sightsee a little bit. If I'm going to a place that I've never been to, because a lot of times you go to these conferences and you might, let's say you're going to Atlanta and you know, you might be quote unquote going to Atlanta, but all you see is the airport, the cab or the Marta or whatever, and the conference room. And that's all you see of the city. So what I will try to do, if it makes sense, is I'll maybe tack on a, a night or a day and do some sightseeing as well and just make the, the trip a little more fun. Interesting. Okay. So if the conference is on Thursday, ends on Saturday, I think I would agree with you. If it's a new conference I've never yeah, been to, exactly, I would try to maximize it by going to everything. So the opening keynote, opening ceremony, um, staying till the end, and then leaving the next day. Yeah, right. Uh, the only exception might be like if the conference ends say at five o'clock on Saturday. Right. If there's a flight at eight o'clock that yeah. night, I, I might still grab that flight. Um, yeah, I think for me, just being on the West Coast and being Canada. It's rare that that works out, but sometimes it does. <laughs> yeah, I guess sometimes being central in that yeah. sense makes it easy as well because, again, most flights are, within the States at least, are only a couple hours away. And yep. I personally don't mind coming home, let's say, midnight or something mm -hmm. uh, because then I can just get going the next day and be completely fine. Yep. Uh, but again, you know, my circumstances make that a little easier. might be different for you who's listening. Um, but in terms of picking flights... If I can, I will always try to fly in the same morning 
Yeah. So I do. I personally don't mind making up, waking up really early to catch the earliest flight. To then, you know, because I go carry on only anyway. Yeah. And I don't mind dressing uh, for the conference already. So when I go to the hotel, like I leave it at the at the front front desk, mm-hmm. and they can just check it, and then just go straight into a conference mode. So for me, that's not a problem. But um, that's just another way for me to save money on an extra night of hotel. Yeah, right? exactly. So that's the only reason I would do that. Um, but otherwise, like, especially if it's a foreign country, then I'll usually come the day before. Yeah. Uh, but that's very rare. Like, you would have to put on a really good conference for me to fly outside the States. <laughs> yeah. um, and there would have to be somewhere really nice where I also want to stay afterwards. Because mm-hmm. then you can do the two-in-one, like you said. Like, yeah. you go there for work. And then after that, you just relax and debrief and, and just stay there for a little bit of a vacation, maybe somewhere exotic where you've never been. Yep. Right? So that makes sense in my head. Uh, when it comes to uh, transportation, when you go to the airport, do you take public transportation? Do you take taxi? How do you get from the airport to the hotel? Like, what's, what's your mode? So I'm kind of weird in this way in that I actually really am fascinated and really like uh, metro systems. So... If there's a train from the airport and it makes sense to get because a lot of times these conferences are downtown. So if there's a train from the airport, I will often take it just to see what that train is like. And then you obviously save a lot of money that way, too. Um, So that's why the first time I came here to Austin, uh, I I was expecting, oh, I'll just take the train in from the airport to to come down here but nope there's no such thing <laughs> have you seen the public transportation yeah. system yeah. here oh no. I, i've been here a number of times so i know the deal now <laughs> so uh so you know if i go to san francisco i'll take the bart or whatever uh, and it works out really well but uh if that fails then yeah usually i will take lyft or that sort of thing if that if that's an option yeah i think i'm just super lazy yeah i when i get to the oh when i get from the airport to the hotel um, I'm always taking either uh, Lyft or Uber, mm-hmm. uh, especially because it makes expensing a lot easier. Yes. Because it's, especially if it's on the card, business card, then it's just, okay, that's the expense. I don't have to deal with any more paperwork, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. But when it comes to traveling to the airport, I use a service called Wings. Right. Um, so it's basically Uber, but you can schedule when you're going to be picked up. So that makes it a a lot more convenient and especially for business purposes um, I like to be always leaving on time and uh, no no surprises yes. so I always have the same driver picking me up she knows exactly where to park where we're going to meet you know how how I like to be driven to the airport where to be dropped off and whereas with Uber or something you always have a new driver and so every time I have to explain like, you know park here you know, go here, I'll meet you here because that's the fastest way for me to get out. And if I just go on a personal vacation, then I'll usually do that. But when it's for business purposes, I'll usually order the wings, which is a little bit more expensive. But uh, for me, it's just more convenient, more systematic and so much more easier to get around as well. Uh, because she knows, like, if she picks me up, I usually don't talk that much in the car anyway. I just like sit there and listen to a podcast or whatever. So she's usually super quiet. She knows the deal. <laughs> And just take me to the airport. This is the route that I think is most convenient. And uh, off we go. So I'm not a big fan of trans or. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I will say is, yeah, you especially when you're going to the airport, you want to eliminate 
the potential for problems. The, like traveling for a lot of people is stressful enough without the trip to the airport being stressful. So Vancouver doesn't, where I live, doesn't have Uber or Lyft or anything like that. So it's really driving or or taxi or if you're if you live on our our train system called the SkyTrain, which I don't. Uh, you know, people will take that. But so for me, just the way taxis are in Vancouver, if I'm going to be a certain number of days, it's actually cheaper for me to just drive and park my car at the airport. But over that three-day thresh- threshold or whatever it is, then I'll I'll take a cab. Well, I don't even have a car here, so I, right. I can't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to packing then, are there certain things that you always bring with you when you go to conferences? Uh, yeah, I have my notebook, have my iPad. Um, I bring my computer, but I'm actually not a big fan of taking notes with computer with your computer when when in a, a conference room. So I'll usually do it either on my iPad or just in a pen and paper notebook. Uh, I find when you do it on a computer, it's too distracting. At least that's what I find because there's so many other things you can do. And, it, and I'm sure everybody has experienced this. You sit in a, in a conference room and there's a speaker up there speaking or a panel or something like that. And you look around and people are on their computers and no one's paying any attention to <laughs> to the speaker. They're checking their email, they're surfing Facebook, you know, whatever. So I like to eliminate distractions as much as possible. So that's that's what I usually bring. I'm also not a big fan of the, the MacBook and the conference room for that exact reason. Because as soon as I see the notification turn red or turn plus one or plus two, whether it's my messages app or even email or even OmniFocus, then my mind just goes there right away. It's like, okay, this needs to be addressed right away because obviously I'm being pulled in there. So I prefer having my iPad with me or just a scratch pad or some sort of notebook that I bring with me. Uh, Super easy, super light, and uh, not so distracting. So usually I try to also plan it in a way where when I go to a conference, I want to do all the work before I leave knowing that I'm not going to do the work when I'm at the conference and also the work that I would potentially need to do should be able to be done on a iPad. So when I go to conferences now, I'm, I try to leave my laptop at home for that yeah. specific reason and I've built enough like processes and systems and do, have done the work before I left. So I know that there's nothing like laptop specific, even in cases of emergency that I need to do. Um, because everything can nowadays still be done on on the iPad, so that's super powerful. What about business cards? W- what's your take on that? I always bring business cards to conferences. I'm not. I don't generally walk around handing them out. Um, some people do that. That that's not me. But when people ask, "Oh, do you have a card?" I like having something something to give them. So I. Maybe I'm old school, but I do always, always bring business cards. You don't need them as much now, um, but I always have them. How about you? I always bring them as well. Um, I try to make a point to make that part of my checklist to, to make sure I bring them. And then and speaking of checklists, I have a checklist just for regular travel and I have a checklist for business travel. Mm-hmm. Because certain things like that uh, are all on that list. So I always bring them, but my business cards don't have a phone number on them. So right. I always give them out to people that I meet and I want to stay in touch with. But then uh, if I'm finding somebody 
that I think is really valuable or vice versa, then I'll take out the pen and write my phone number on there and I'll ask for their phone number as well. Uh, and so I always make a funny joke like, oh, you're special. You're going to yeah. get my number. <laughs> so uh, I always like to bring business cards. Uh, when it comes to clothing, for me personally, the more comfortable, the better. Uh, one thing to be aware of is that most conference rooms are really cold. Like yeah. it's very rare that it's like too hot. So layering is always a good idea. Um, bringing a jacket or some of some sorts is always a good idea. A lot of times when I go to conferences, let's say I go to San Diego, it's always warm, nice, and sunny. When you walk out, you have to be able to take clothes off right away yeah. because it's so cold inside that you want to be able to layer and wear jackets and stuff. And so one of my favorite pieces that I have is this like a windbreaker because you can wear it inside and it kind of keeps your body warm because there's no like warm uh, heat escaping from your body, but it's also not entering from the AC. And the windbreaker, if you have those really thin ones, I don't know if you've seen those before, mm -hmm. but you can literally just wrap those up yeah. and put them in your back and wouldn't take any space whatsoever. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite things to buy. And you can get them for really cheap prices. It doesn't have to be expensive, but the ones I like are uh, like from Burberry and they have a, a line of them. I really love them. I have like three of them and I have them in different colors because I was... One of those things, one of those purchases where I like to have multiple because if I ever lost one of them, I would be yeah. like devastated. <laughs> so I brought, I bought uh, three of them and uh, I always travel with one whenever I go to conferences as a, as a layering piece. I think that just going back a little bit, I think that was a really good tip you gave about, and sometimes you can't avoid it, but about not doing work when you're at the conference. Because I've been in that situation too, where I just had a lot going on and and I didn't structure things pro properly before I went to the conference. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, in the morning or in the evening or at lunch, you know, I can catch up with this and that. And first of all, when you're at a conference, you never feel like it, right? You're as weird as it sounds, you're a bit tired from sitting in those rooms all day or walking around. And so you, you're never as engaged in what you should be or what you have to work on as, as you could be. You're in conference mode. And second of all, you're not getting the full benefit of being at that conference if you're work sitting in your hotel room working on this project. And I've, I've definitely done that before and have had friends bring me up lunch, <laughs> you know, when I, I should be down there eating it with them. But instead, I'm up in my room. So whatever. And we always kind of forget to do this before we go. So if you're able to try your best to structure your job so that you don't have to work on stuff while you're at the conference not always possible but if you can do it i think that's the ideal situation for sure like not work during the conference just go there to consume and learn and meet people and that's probably the most important thing that you can do there i think it's also an interesting perspective where you know if you're the owner of the company like sometimes you just can't do that you know like you have to address sure, certain yeah. things and and stuff like that, or else also if uh, if you're a startup and you're just starting out and stuff like that, like <laughs> I've I've been to many conferences where I had to work and do things at the last minute, especially when there's like a launch or something going on. Um, which also brings me to another point: like never travel or go to a conference when you have like really big deadlines at the same time, because there's always stuff happening. <laughs> always. I've, I've also I've also done that before, and yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> Uh, as far as other stuff to bring and pack, um, I would say 
don't wear brand new shoes, as weird as that sounds, but mm-hmm. if you have boots or shoes you have to break in, you're going to be walking a lot at conferences, which in a way is good to break them in. But if they're really uncomfortable shoes, yep. you're going to regret doing that. So don't do that. Yeah. And, and also a lot of times you go to these conferences, like you said, at San Diego, Santa Barbara, stuff like that, where it's maybe more hot. Not so much if you live in Austin, but certainly if you're from the Pacific Northwest, maybe it's more hot than where you live and you know your feet might get a bit bigger or whatever. And so these shoe, new shoes that you thought were okay may not be so okay. <laughs> yeah. So don't, don't break in your new shoes when you, when you go. Let's talk a little bit about how to maximize your time at conferences, right? So we've talked about how to get there, what to do, what to bring what to plan for, but now you're at the conference. So what is your thinking process like when you're at the conference? Like how do you maximize the, the time that you spent there, the ROI, the value you get? Um, well, one thing, one thing I like to do is have, we talked about know why you're going. We talked about that earlier. And that's especially true when you're there. If it's this type of conference, have an objective. If there's certain people you want to meet, have that objective to meet those people. If there's a certain thing you really want to learn, make sure you structure your time around around hitting those objectives. So for last year, for example, I went to a conference and it was really because I really wanted to get immersed in this one particular feature of a software that we use at AE. And so I made sure that when I was looking at the sessions I want to go to, I made sure that I hit anything related to that particular thing. I mean, I did other things too, of course, but I the conference would have been a total waste of time if I went there, went to some sessions that maybe looked fun or something, but didn't actually do the thing I was going there to do. So make sure you have you you structure things around whatever your objective is. I think that's so simple and yet powerful, but also an easy mistake to make is to go to a conference and not have any clear reason why you're there. Mm-hmm. Because then you'll just go... You'll just attend a bunch of sessions and I, I've definitely done it before where I'm just going to go and whatever happens, happens. And in a way, it was good because I had very low expectations. And so coming in, I wasn't sure what to expect. And anything that I would be able to learn and take away from, I would be like, okay, I can implement that and get value from that. But looking back, I really shouldn't have done that because I was just wandering around quite a bit, just doing whatever. And there was no like focus on something. And I felt looking back that I really just wasted my time or yeah. And some uh, kind of related to that is what I've done in the past too is, and I've tried to stop doing this is I'll look at the agenda and maybe there's some speakers I know that are really entertaining speakers, really good speakers, or it's a, it's a session that might be, it looks like it might be interesting. Um, or maybe it's, you know, a person I know. So I'll go there. The problem is, you're not really get, unless you're trying to learn public speaking, at the end of that session, you're not really getting anything out of an entertaining speaker. Like you haven't walked out of there with, with something that will help you. So now I try to be a lot more ruthless about what sessions I go to and look at, am am I going to be able to get something out of this 45 minutes to 90 minutes that I'm going to be spending sitting in a cold room. Um, if not, I might go do something else instead. Right. So your objective really was for that particular case to learn a specific feature, to learn the software. You weren't there to meet people, although if it happened, it would be nice, but you weren't really there for that. You were really there to learn. 
Yeah, but I I would still go there and meet people for sure. But what I mean is if you're if you're looking at an agenda and you see a session and the speaker is somebody you know will give a funny talk or something like that. To me, I might have gone in the past, gone to that session because I know I'll have a good time in that session. But you're not necessarily getting anything out of being there. You would probably be better not going to that session and instead going to the hallway and meeting people and networking and talk talking versus sitting in a room just to be entertained. Gotcha. Yeah, for me personally, whenever I go to a conference, I kind of categorize it in my head. So I'm either there for learning, I'm either there, either there to meet new people or I'm there to see familiar faces. Yep. And I kind of like in my head just put in one of those three buckets. So when I go there for learning, I'm really paying close attention to all the sessions that are going on and I will like circle them and say, this is the one I'm going to and then this next and then this next. And then, you know, all the networking, meeting people, it will be a nice side benefit, right? Um, Sometimes I'll go specifically for networking. My experience then is very different. Like I'll go to the sessions, but anytime I can skip a session, I will do that because I now see an opportunity to meet certain people uh, and so on. And and it's funny, it's like as, as the business owner, one of the things you'll start to realize as well is like every time you go to a conference, it's a new way to find people, talent that you might want to hire either then or there or down the line. Um, and th- that's funny enough how we met. <laughs> that's how I met some other people on the team as well. So as a business owner, if you're going, yes, you can go there for networking and, and learning and stuff, but always look out for new talent as well. Like some some of the conferences I go to, like I'll go there for learning, I'll go there for networking, but I'm also specifically going to see if I can find talent or if not find talent directly, I can talk to people who are in that industry to ask them if they know somebody who might be able to come work for us down the line. So for example, if I go to a marketing conference right in San Diego, then I'll go there to learn, obviously. I'll see some familiar faces most likely and see some people that I've uh, been wanting to meet. But I'm always looking for new talent as well because we're always looking for people who have a strong marketing brain for Asian efficiency. And um, so when I'm walking around and meeting people, talking to them, I'm, in the back of my head, I'm also thinking, okay, could this person work for us right. at some point? Like, do our values align? Like, does he or she have the right skills? Or uh, I'll talk to every single person that I already know and say, hey, I'm looking for this type of person, you know, whether it's now or one year from now, do you know somebody that you can introduce me to that might be here, right? It's interesting that you say that because if you look at it from the other side, that's a good thing to remember when you're attending a conference that you might be chatting to this person in line at the buffet about, you know, whatever, but you don't know that person might need someone with your skill set and might be thinking the way you were just saying you were thinking. So you want to you want to make sure that when you're meeting people, you're not complaining about the the bad organization at the conference or complaining about the lineups at the washroom or, you know, you want to be putting your best foot forward, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because you never know if this person that you're meeting randomly can help you, maybe not now, but someday day down the line. So, so always have that mindset as well. It reminds me of the story that Marmel, Marmel said to me when she went to the Scrum conference a while back. 
because she was sharing. She was there to learn more about Scrum and how to implement it and stuff. And uh, she was sharing how we do our roundtable of gratitude as we end our meetings. So, so what we do is every time we end a meeting, we do a roundtable of gratitude where everybody in the virtual meeting room will say what they're grateful for or, or thankful for. And so Marmel shared this as a, as a tactic that we use to kind of uh, end the meeting on a high note, make sure everybody feels valued and understands that, you know, whatever you do actually matters, you know, and all that stuff. So she shared that. And then everybody was like blown away because nobody apparently have heard of this particular tactic. And then uh, she got so many like job offers to come work <laughs> for those companies because they were blown away by her insights that she uh, she was sharing at the at the event. So that's also another thing to be always like you could literally if you if you're employed right now, you could find a new job opportunity when you go somewhere. Um, you'll potentially meet your new boss or if you're a, if you're a business owner and you send people you know don't don't be surprised if one day they leave because they got a better job offer right and that's you know that's a whole different topic to to talk about but so the um, takeaway is marmel is not allowed to go to any more conferences is that what we're saying <laughs> marmel if you're listening you're absolutely allowed to go again yeah so i would say if you're a first timer going to a conference i would say go to everything mm-hmm. and if you're a veteran then with a veteran, I mean, if you've been to the same conference before, you usually know when you can go, when you shouldn't go, where to go, and so on. Now, if you've been to many conferences already, you probably have a better idea already of what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and so on. You can be more selective and maximize your time that way. But if you're brand new, you've never been to a conference, or you've only been to like less than five of them, like I think it's worthwhile to keep going to all the sessions, all the stuff. So you kind of get the circuit, kind of get a feel for what's going on. And then over time, be more selective. This would actually be a good time to unpack a little bit more. What you touched on earlier near the beginning is this concept of unconferencing. Because sometimes sometimes conferences attract clusters of like, well, always, that's the definition. They attract clusters of like-minded people. And sometimes people have gone to this conference a number of times or they're they're already such an expert in the field but like you said they just want to hang out with people they know or hang out with people in the business so a lot of times people will go to San Diego or to Portland to these conferences but never don't buy a ticket and never actually well obviously they don't have a ticket so they can't attend any sessions but they're just there hanging out at cafes or at the bar at night and stuff like that. And it ends up being just a way, even if they never set foot in the conference hall, it's still, it can be a great way to, to do that networking. Yeah. A lot of times when I go to a conference specifically for networking, it's usually the unconferencing way. (laughs) So I won't buy a ticket, but I'll stay at the hotel, the same hotel that everybody's staying at. I'll still go to all the parties if I can and I'm just there just to have dinners with people, spend time with them, have drinks, wherever we end up going. Like, that's all I'm doing. So that's a that's a way for me to kind of like on conference. And then, you know, admittedly, so it's a little bit of an excuse to leave my home and sure. go to a new city and explore as well. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a good way to maximize your time. So especially if you've been to a conference many, many times, you're like, eh, yeah, I don't really need to go to the sessions at all. So one of the things that I've also mentioned earlier was when you go to a conference, there's really 
only a very small number of people that you need to meet that makes it worthwhile. Like I said, maybe one, two, or three people at most. So you really don't have to feel like you have to meet 40, 50 different people, right? Based on my experience, and I hope this is going to save you some time and energy, you really just need to meet one, two, three people at most that is going to really move the needle for you. So don't feel like you have to hand out your business cards to 100 different people to meet three people. I would rather focus on the quality of the relationship rather than on the quantity. So what I mean with that is when I'm going somewhere, even if I go solo, I've never been there, never been to the conference, I'll literally just focus on one or two good relationships that I can walk away with. And then when I go home, follow up with them and maintain and build that relationship or even do business together or even bring them on or keep nurturing that relationship somehow. Because based on my experience, you really don't need that many connections. Yeah, this can be and this is can be helpful and reassuring to introverts who go to conferences who may find it challenging to meet new people. It can be a relief to to hear that because a lot of times you feel like you always hear about, oh, conferences are for the networking. So you feel like you should be meeting all these people and you feel like you're almost doing it wrong if if you don't. But yeah, like you said, it's 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 not that way. You can meet that one person that two years down the line is this big door opener for you or something like that, as long as you nurture the relationship and all that sort of stuff. So so don't uh, don't struggle if you only have a few deep, meaningful conversations. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, it's always quality over quantity for conferences. So uh, if you're taking notes, just write that down. <laughs> but uh, speaking of taking notes, one of the best things you can do is to take good notes. So let's talk a little bit about that because everybody has a different style of taking notes. I know some people like to draw. Personally, I'm a linear note taker. I just like to use a scratch pad and just take notes and take pictures every now and then of slides. I'm personally not a big fan of like following up afterwards where I download the slides. Usually, like I'll write down the URL, but based on my experience, I rarely do it where I'm really following because I'm missing the content usually. Yeah. I am the same. I'm also more of a linear note taker. I'm in awe of people who do what's called sketch noting, where they somehow make a picture of, of the talk, and but with words and stuff like that. One time I had somebody sketch note a talk I did for the American Bar Association, and I was just standing there looking at it after. I could not believe, like, somehow they managed to capture my my talk in pictures it was unbelievable so i I just can't believe people can do that uh but yeah no i'm a a more linear note taker uh i make sure one thing that's key for me is as i'm going through i put big stars beside beside action items things i want to actually do with the information later um so that i i have that trigger and can easily see what i need to pull out but i'm the same i I always have the intentions to download the slides, but if it's a good, if the person is a good speaker and it's a good talk, a lot of times the slides themselves don't tell you that much. It if, if it's a really good talk, the slide should be emphasizing what the speaker is saying. So it's not really helpful to have that picture of a Japanese garden. <laughs> you know what I mean? When the person's talking about whatever. Uh, so uh, yeah, I don't I don't get a lot out of that usually. I usually take a lot of screenshots mm-hmm. with my iPhone. Yep. So especially when it comes to numbers or data, I'll always take my iPhone out and take a quick picture of it. Same. And um, Or if there's like a flow chart or some sort of illustration that points out something, I'll usually take pictures of that. 
and then I'll make a note of it in my phone as well to say, hey, uh, check out this picture or check out the flow chart on your phone and I'll reference it back. And kind of like you, uh, usually what I do is for action items is I'll make a box, a square box on the left-hand side of my mm-hmm. scratch pad so I can see like, oh, th- that's a note. Yep. And then if it's an asterisk for me, that's uh, usually for me to either look into or think about. Mm-hmm. So that's how I take notes. But yeah, for me, it's uh, super simple. Like whatever the title is of the keynote or whatever, write that down at the top. Always put a date. I find it very useful to kind of have a date on there so I kind of know what, what day it was, where it was, location, and then just write down whatever comes to mind. I always make fun of the people who have like the big iPads and then like raise them above <laughs> their heads and take pictures. Yeah. I always find that super hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But I get it though. I get it. Okay. Anything else that you do to maximize your time at conferences? No, that's about it for me. But I do remember that one time I saw you, I'm going to throw your own words back at you. But one time I remember in a dojo comment, uh, you were commenting on it on a topic about uh, success and growth. Somebody was asking, asking about that. And you were talking about some of the things you do, not just about conferences, but some of the things you do to maximize, you know, your growth. And one, one thing you said is, uh, whenever there's a seminar and I'm curious if you still do this or if you, if you have more to say about it, but you said, whenever there's a, a conference, you try to buy, cause sometimes there's VIP packages and stuff like that. You try to buy, if it's reasonable, the most expensive package, because then you're among that small group of people kind of usually sitting together and usually they have special networking opportunities, do you do you still do that? Do you st- do you find that helpful um, to to do that if if it makes sense? Obviously, yeah. If the money cost analysis makes sense, I will usually still do that. So, any conference you go to usually has like you know three four different packages, mm-hmm. and the most expensive package will usually get you like a private dinner or something or uh, backstage access or something like that, where where you just can meet a lot more. Uh, like players let me just call it that yep. and I find it just so much more valuable to to do that because if I'm going to go anyway and I'm especially going for the networking reasons then the most expensive package makes a lot of sense because those relations I'm basically buying my way in if that makes sense like yep. I can you know talk my way in I can also buy my way in Right. And that's basically what I'm doing is I'm basically trying to shortcut that process where if I can get in front of the right people and spend enough time with them, you know, we can build a relationship that's mutually beneficial. Right. right. Whether that's friendship, whether that's business together. So when you buy the most expensive package, you're just buying more access and more time with people that you want to meet anyway. Right. So if I'm going to a conference specifically for the networking aspect, and the VIP package kind of makes sense and it's within a budget, then I would say, yes, definitely go for it. Um, because it just makes the networking so much easier. Like if you're in the backstage room, you're literally sitting there with two or three people, you can have much more meaningful conversations. You're going to be invited to dinners that you might have not been mm-hmm. invited to or don't even know were uh, in existence. And so if you can and you have the budget for it, definitely do so. Because you'll see that you'll meet all the players that you want to meet so much faster in a relationship. It's also going to be a little bit different because now they're, they're seeing that, okay, if you have that kind of money to spend, there's something that you're up to that might be valuable to them. Right. So in, in a, you know, superficial way, it's 
great for them to filter out certain people as well, you know, as, as strange as that sounds. Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, so we talked a little bit about how to maximize your time. Uh, one thing I want, I want to bring up before we move on was I think it's really worthwhile to walk around the vendor booth mm, yep. because there's, uh, whether it's a software conference you go to or personal development or something else, there's always like interesting stuff there that uh, is usually not covered as a talk or whatever. Um, I've learned lots of new software tools that we use now nowadays. Uh, I've learned a lot about different supplements, learned a lot about uh, different people that are now friends. So I think it's really worthwhile to just do a walk, talk, talk to maybe not all the vendors, but talk to at least some of the stuff that seems interesting to you uh, because there's, I think, a lot of value there. Also, you were talking about these invite-only events that, that are often happening around conferences. A lot of times these vendors have are either sponsoring it or they have a certain number of invites that they can tickets that they can give away. So talking to these vendors, getting to know them can be a way into these events if you don't have other connections too. Okay, so we have two introverts here at the table, <laughs> right? So uh, I'm sure you have specific networking tips for people who are a little bit shy or a little bit more introverted. I want to make sure we, we go over that as well. Um, do you have any specific tips for people who are, you know, a little bit shy in terms of approaching people, starting a conversation, kind of get to know people aside from what you said earlier is to speak because I think yeah. that is brilliant, but for Not those who can yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, conferences can be a nightmare for uh, people. I'm sure many listening, uh, would uh, agree with that uh, for people who are introverted or maybe a bit shy or whatever. Um, and a lot of times it's it's because you get in that room and you don't know anybody and you just don't really know how to proceed. So one tip uh, that I've definitely found helpful is to try and get to know people before the event. And this used to be very difficult, but now with social media, it's it's very easy. A lot of times you know people who are going to be there, so maybe um, you can start up a conversation with them via Twitter or Instagram or comments or whatever, and it allows you to get to know and recognize people, and then they can a lot of times get to know and recognize you as well. Um, I think the mistake a lot of people make, though, is they only go, they do that, but only with the kind of famous quote unquote famous people who everybody is is trying to to connect with but you can look at people who are also attending the conference that maybe aren't so so famous and one way you can do this is most conferences have say on twitter or instagram have uh, a hashtag and a lot of times there's chatter before the comments you know who's going to hashtag whatever pack, getting my packing ready blah 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 and so that can be a way to find out and connect with attendees who are posting about that hashtag. And so at least then you'll recognize people and you'll, there's always people there who are active on those hashtags. Um, and then if you want to connect, if you want to talk, um, message them, you can, or at least it's people that you can recognize. And then when you're at the conference, if you see them, you can go up to them and say, hey, I really enjoy uh, you know, that stuff you were posting was really funny. So thanks for doing that, that sort of thing. So it can just be a way, an icebreaker, basically. Yeah, I actually wrote it down as a bullet point. Stalk people before you go <laughs> and get right. to know them online before you ever meet them at the conference. So utilize Twitter, Instagram, uh, comment on their blog, 
I, I started doing this many, many years ago. And uh, I met a lot of people who are now maybe considered like well-known or influencers. So an example of that was uh, James Clear. So I was like following his stuff online, whether it was Twitter or his blog. And we started messaging online. And uh, by the time we met, we had kind of like a relationship already mm. in a way, right? So when we met, talking was really easy and stuff like that. And we really connected and became good buddies. And this was at a time when nobody knew about James Clare. Right? And nowadays he's like, you know, the habit expert. Like he has a book coming out. Like everybody knows him now. But because we met early, uh, sort of like in his journey, even though he's super famous now and people know him, like he will always make time for me because mm -hmm. we met very early on, right? So there's a lot of opportunity for meeting people who aren't famous or are the speakers and and are quote unquote up and coming. And me and my friend Charles, we always joke about this, how I have like the eye for talent in that sense. <laughs> right. I know so many people now who are super well known, but I met them because we were at the same conference and we were nobodies at that time. And you can just see sometimes from the work that they do or from their postings that, okay, this person, as long as they're doing their stuff, like they're going to be a, a somebody at some yeah. point. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the best things you can do is just contact them before you go. Yeah. Another benefit of this stalking, as you put it, is you can kind of get to know the people and know the things that they're they're into. And you can a lot of times find common things with them that you can use as an icebreaker as well. So a kind of similar example is at that small software party where we met, um, I met Merlin Mann. So, and for those who, who don't know, Merlin is somebody who's, you know, pretty well known in, in certain productivity and Mac type circles. And so, you know, I met him at that party and everybody would say to him, you know, oh, I really like your website and your podcast and stuff like that which I did say because I do like his website and his podcast. But then I said, how do you know so much about these random Canadian indie rock bands? <laughs> uh, because I happened to know that he was into that, that stuff. And I, I just couldn't understand how somebody from Ohio slash Florida slash San Francisco would know all these, these really obscure Canadian bands. And we ended up having this big, long conversation. And then we ran into each other again and he introduced me to some people and then we, you know, met a couple other times and stuff like that. And it was all because I, and I didn't do it with any ulterior and ulterior motive, but because I saw this point in common with him that we were able to connect on that. I'm not saying it was a deep level or anything, but it was just something and an icebreaker. And, and there's always these type of opportunities for that. I love that. I love that. I can see that working for me too. <laughs> Another thing I want to make sure that our introverted listeners are aware of that will really help them is to come up with a good elevator pitch. So what I mean with this is when somebody's asking you, what do you do or why are you here? You want to have something that you can just say ready to go and it's interesting and something that people go, oh, tell me more. Because that's when you know you have a good elevator pitch. So literally imagine yourself getting into an elevator and somebody says, what do you do? You should be able to say it very quickly, very efficiently, and be kind of like value-packed in a way where people go, oh, okay, yeah, this sounds interesting. Yeah, 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 tell me more about this, right? So the worst thing to say would be, oh, uh, I do, I do uh, online marketing. 
Right. Like so vague, like everybody does that, right? Especially if you're at a marketing conference, right? right? Like that's not going to stand out, right? But if you say, oh, I help um, marketing agencies, you know, grow their Facebook uh, advertising, then that's super specific. And if that person is the right candidate for you, they might say, oh, you know, I actually need that. Like, tell me more, right? So the more specific you are and the shorter it is, the better, because now if you have a good elevator pitch, you're basically inviting people to start talking to you more and more and more, right? And if that person is not interested in that topic, then great, you know, you can just move on and, and meet other people. But if you're talking to the right person and they hear that good elevator pitch, now you have a good reason to continue the conversation. Yeah, and that's really important for introverts also because a lot of times introverts, when you're in this situation of meeting somebody your mind can go blank and then you you just can't remember what you're going to say. And then afterwards you think, ah, oh, I should have said this or that. But if you have this, this kind of thing that you've thought ahead of time of the sort of thing you want to say, then you have that default that you can just go to. And then once the conversation starts, it's fine. You know, it'll go, you know, it's fine. You'll just be a normal person, but uh, having something pre-prepared is, is really useful. One thing I always find helpful is uh when you go to conferences where you already know people mm. right so i'm not i'm not talking about the people you were talking about earlier how you're stalking them online right <laughs> kind of like being creepy about it but i'm talking about the people you already know in real life that you've met before and when you go to the conferences where they are a lot of times they can introduce you to other people so it becomes this like yep. positive circle that mm. makes it so much easier to meet all these new people. But, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. So that's why we want to make sure we put those tips in. But when you go to a conference where you already know people, it's going to be so much easier to meet new people. So if that is something that works to your benefit, then I would say definitely take advantage of that. All right. Uh, I know we're we're almost done here because we have so many notes and we can't even go through everything. So I think at some point we might have to create like a dojo course on this or mm. something because there's so much valuable information here that uh, we don't even have time for today. So two things I do want to go over before we end it today, Brooks. Uh, one of them is how do you keep track of your expenses? How do you keep track of your receipts? Like what's your process like? Because I know when you go, you know, you want to be reimbursed for everything you're spending money on. So how do you keep track of all that stuff? Yeah, for me, it's having a set place where you put these receipts so for me, I have a notebook that has a pocket in it. And so I make sure every receipt I get, I put it in that in that pocket. Otherwise, it gets folded up in your in your pants pocket or gets lost or whatever. So that's number one. And number two is I capture things digitally as fast as I can. So I use a scanning app on my phone and just capture the receipt right away. Because in case I ever do lose it, then at least I have the digital copy that I can that I can use. So those, for me, those are the two things. Because otherwise, if I leave it for later, sometimes it doesn't. You know, bad things can happen. <laughs> yeah. So for me, in the early years, I would do the exact same thing. So I would have a dedicated pouch mm. that I would just bring for receipts. So I would have it in my backpack or messenger bag. And every time I had a receipt, I would just take out the pouch, put the receipt in there. And then when I came home, I would then scan the receipts and then off I go. Then my evolution was, okay, what if I just scan the receipts on the spot? Yep. And so then I don't have to carry them anymore, right? Nowadays, we can keep things digitally and it's okay. So then I started using different scanning apps and uh, it wasn't until Mike, he showed me ScanBot and how it had all these automation features mm -hmm. where it can 
let you put you know the naming format in there and uh the 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 dates and then you can like have it automatically upload to dropbox and and you can then have special hazel rules that do magic things and stuff like that so i built this automation workflow where okay if, as long as i scanned the receipt it would put the right naming convention that our bookkeeper wanted to have right so it could be the difference between like currencies and like uh, whether there was a personal expense or a business expense and then like it would make things so much easier and scanbot made it so easy and then we have hazel rules running on the dropbox folder where everything went yep. and then off it went right so uh, that was the next evolution and then once i kind of like got the gist of that now my lazy way is just put everything on the business credit card as much as possible now okay. sometimes i still have to have receipts for certain things but uh, if I can put it on a business credit card, I will do that first and foremost because then I don't need to keep the receipts. Nowadays, the record on that thing will be good enough. Now, there will be exceptions, especially when it comes to large purchases and stuff like that. But for most small things, you can put it on a company credit card and you don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. But check with your accountant or tax lawyer in your jurisdiction to see what you need to do, obviously. Yeah, and some uh, software that you use for your bookkeeping and for your accounting, they have special apps as well. So when you, like I know Zero has it where if you scan it, it will just automatically go into your yep. uh, financial account. So uh, if you have any of that, uh, definitely utilize that. Okay, so the last, maybe the most important thing I want to talk to you about before we wrap it up here is like, okay, you went to the conference, you learn a lot, you took a lot of notes, you know, but the value of the conference is usually what happens after that as well, yep. right? Um, I'm not only talking about following up with people. Um, we talked a little bit, well, we, I don't think we talked about it, but we want to make sure that you do do this, like add a buffer day, right? Because you need to get your life in order. You were away for a bit. So schedule a day where you don't do anything. Um, but I also want to make sure that you're actually implementing some of the stuff that you learned, Right. So you took a lot of notes, but how do you now implement some of this stuff? So what are some of the tips that you have, Brooks? Yeah, well, one of the things and this is something we do at at AE that I think is really good is when generally when somebody goes to a conference, um, because what we do is we have these biweekly training sessions that everybody leads on a rotating basis on different topics. So what we do is so for I, as an example, the conference I went to last year that I referred to where I was there to learn, you know, a, a certain part of the software, what we do is when people come back from a conference, they will lead a training session, kind of teaching the rest of the team what they've learned. And so this is great in a team setting because then you're sharing the knowledge and other people are benefiting from the time that you spent there. But it's also helpful for you because it's, you know, they always say the best thing way to learn something is to teach and have learning solidified is to teach it to someone else. And by having everybody do the training session it then you learn it better and internalize it better because you're teaching it to other people so that's really powerful yeah this is pretty much mandatory here. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i'm going to a, another conference in a couple of weeks and i can pretty much guarantee the week or two after that i will be doing a training session on what i learned so that's one thing the other thing is one thing i was finding is I would go to these conferences and I would take all these notes and hopefully I would pull out whatever action items I would star, but then that would kind of be it. So what I did is I actually adapted an old Asian efficiency blog post that was about how to read effectively, read books effectively. And I kind of adapted that to conferences. So now what I do is when I take my notes, I put them into Evernote, that's what I use to store my conference notes. 
And then I have an Omni, OmniFocus template. And basically what it does is it's, it has a, a series of different timed uh, action items in OmniFocus. And so what it says is after three days, make sure you pull all the action items out of the notes. Then after three weeks, then three months, then one year, then two years, and then four years, that's all I did. Uh, it has dated uh, tasks to review those notes and it has a link straight to the Evernote note. And the reason I do that is because by reviewing them periodically, it again helps you internalize them, reviewing them over and over again. But also you might be sitting in a session hearing something and taking notes on something that doesn't that doesn't necessarily apply to you at that time. But in two years, maybe that thing that you took a note on, you're in a different place, your business is a different place, your job is in a different place. And all of a sudden that thing, that tip that you jotted down two years ago, all of a sudden is super relevant to what's going on at, at the time. Or you're in a place now where you can make it actionable. So that's why I, I do that. And the, the template has worked really, really well. I remember that blog post. So I want to make sure we link to it. Yeah, I will, I will put a link in the show notes. So when you read that blog post, substitute books for conference notes. Same so thing. just to clarify, just in case people won't read the blog post. So let's say you went to an Asian efficiency conference, which by the way, I can tell you will come at some point. <laughs> what you do then is say, okay, I'm going to create a project mm -hmm. or a list. And then in there, you're going to say, you're going to have like, let's say four different tasks. One, one yep. task is uh, review notes in three weeks from now. Yep. And then one, another task is uh, review notes three months from now. Yep. And then another note one year from now, four years from now, and so on. Yep, exactly. And so, so four years from that conference, all of a sudden I'll be sitting down on OmniFocus and there'll be a, a task in there saying, review notes from Asian efficiency 2019 from four, in four, four years from now. And I'll be like, oh, right. And then, so I'll go and I'll skim through and just see if there's anything that, that triggers. And uh, you'd be surprised. A conference four years ago, you would think not much would be relevant, but I found that's not the case. Wow, that's super powerful. Yeah, it's super, really useful. Super powerful, yeah. Like you had to stick all the way till the end to, to learn this little <laughs> nugget. That's why we kept it there. <laughs> no, just messing with you. But I think that's really good. And um, I've been doing some something very similar for books. Mm -hmm. But it never occurred to me that you can do the same thing for conferences. But that makes a lot of sense. So I should really t make it an action item now to actually go over all my older notes from conferences I've been to over the last couple of years and kind of look at that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. My shortcut to this, and we were joking about this earlier before we started this. Oh, nowadays, if I want to have something implemented, <laughs> All I need to do is when I come home from my conference, just review it, make sure I understand what needs to be done. And then I tell Brooks, Brooks, we need this. Let's let's go implement this. That's pretty much what happens. Yeah, we have a an operations meeting every week. And uh, when when uh, Tang comes back from a conference, a lot of times there's some new some new tasks in our in our operations board, Kanban board of things to do from that. Yep. So if you're in that position as well, where you have amazing team members and, and uh, you can delegate some of the things that need to happen, definitely do so. But, you know, this is not a way for you to get rid of stuff, obviously. Like the most important thing is you have the powerful idea, you have the vision that you know is going to make a big difference. 
but maybe you're you're not the person who's going to get that end result taken care of, right? Maybe somebody else is more suitable for that. That doesn't mean that everything that I envision or learn about is going to be delegated. But uh, if you do have team members, especially if they specialize in that certain topic, you know, don't be afraid to review the stuff and then think about okay, who is the person that's going to make this take? Like, who's the person that's going to take action on this and get the end result? And speaking as a business owner, especially as you grow your business, a lot of times the question isn't, what do we need to do to get this result? A lot of times the question becomes, who is the person who can get this result? And this is where you have to hire certain people or hire external contractors or consultants or agencies, because a lot of times you don't always have the luxury to learn all the things that you need to implement, even though it might have been scripted for you at the conference. I know you're busy, we're all busy, and sometimes delegating it to somebody else who has the capacity and resources and time to do it is is the way to go. So, you know, I'm starting to talk about this half-jokingly, but it's actually very powerful as well if you're in that position. So that kind of wraps today's podcast episode. We have actually a lot more notes. We didn't even have the time to go through everything, but uh, we want to make sure that uh, we respect your time and that everything is actionable for you to implement today as well. So if you enjoyed this podcast, definitely let us know. And uh, thank you, Brooks, for being on the show today. At Asian Efficiency, we believe that you shouldn't have to sacrifice your personal life to get things done. You should be able to get it all done in the time you have. That's why we've built a productivity quiz to help you maximize the time you have, to increase your energy, and to help you get more focused. We've helped over 13,000 people increase their productivity, and within two minutes of taking the productivity quiz, we'll show you exactly what you need to do next to increase your productivity. To take the quiz, just go to theproductivityshow.com quiz. Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com quiz. Don't let your never-ending to-do list drag you down and stop sacrificing your personal life to get things done. Take the quiz today. You'll be on your way to becoming superhuman productive. You can also find links to everything we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 225. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us an iTunes review or a star in Overcast. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Productive Monday. We'll be right back.